This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. Hey friends, Josh here. Welcome back to Deadset Podcasting. Today is an interview with the really amazing Norman Cheller. And this conversation is probably coming up to about a month old. And it is only part one of a pretty wide-ranging chat. The reason I held off on releasing this episode, and firstly, thanks to Norm for his patience with me doing that, is I very rarely have recorded an interview for any show, let alone Dead Set Podcasting, where I thought, wow, this is so unique, and there's so much powerful stuff in here that I want to save this for the right moment. Whether that's a good idea in retrospect, making your guest wait because you realise there's something particularly special about the interview you just did, that's, I guess, something that maybe your guest or your audience can tell you about. (laughs) But for me, it just felt like this is different. This conversation had something unique to it that I hadn't really heard on other shows. So hopefully, by splitting it into two parts, you guys have the chance to consume a lot of what for me, was first-time information. It was the first time I'd heard about or discussed or had anyone elaborate on some deeper things in podcasting when you're very much looking from a global perspective like Norm is. And if I didn't mention Norm is from Podlovers Asia, it's a fantastic website, podcast, and community around predominantly Asian podcasting. We also talk about today what Asian podcasting is and why maybe the term itself doesn't really encapsulate everything that podcasting is, has been and could be in Norman's part of the world and Asia more generally. So that's fascinating. We also talk about English as a communication technology and communication nuance tool. And it's really fascinating to hear Norm talk about English not as a channel to grow your show or as a marketing tool or a way to reach the biggest audience, but more so as a way to, within the context of a bilingual or multilingual show environment, use English purely just to communicate best with the guests who may also have grown up with English as a second or third language. So really fascinating. So today's mostly about getting to know Norm and his perspectives on podcasting, but also the use of language as a technology, which is bloody interesting. (laughs) I don't really know how else to cover that. I won't keep you any longer now. Once again, this is part one with Norman Cheller from Podlovers Asia. To support the show you're listening to, go to deadsetpodcasting.com slash support. You'll see there where you can share the show, rate and review the show, and also donate a few coffees at buymeacoffee.com. There'll be some buttons there. If you do any of those things, thank you. If you don't, just thanks for listening. And here is Norman Cheller from Pod Lovers Asia. You're listening to Dead Set Podcasting with your host, Josh Liston. This is a show dedicated to podcasting in Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia. Follow along with today's episode over at deadsetpodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Dead Set Podcasting. I'm here with Norman T. Cheller, who's coming to us. His Skype says he's in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, but I'm not sure if that's exactly where he is. And normally, I wouldn't get someone to geolocate themselves at all, but I think since you're my first guest from 
that whole part of the world and I've always wanted to talk to more people from Asia, it'd be good if you could tell us a little bit about where exactly you're from without giving away too much information, of course, Norm, and maybe just tell us. Because I know, for example, you can speak an insane amount of languages and you can speak English better than I can to start with. So people will find that out as the interview goes on. But <laughs> uh, just maybe tell us if that's because you mentioned in the pre-chat you'd been in Sydney for a period of time and other places. Can you just fill us in a little bit about yourself? Because it's I remember hearing you tell it to someone on your podcast, Pod Lovers Asia, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so uh, first of all, yes, I do live in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I am born Indigenous Malaysian, so my first language is not English. We have our own native tribal language called Iban. And uh, from a young age, I moved to Holland, uh, to the Netherlands in Europe for five to six years. And I came back for a while and then went to Australia for uni. So I was in Sydney. So shout outs to anyone from UNSW. And uh, after that, I went to Japan for a year on exchange came back and I here I am back now in KL. So a couple of languages I picked up uh, over the course of my life. So yeah. A couple. So just because today is about getting to know you as you know the heart and soul of Pod Lovers Asia, but also the guy that's obviously doing all the voicing of those episodes and the interviewing. Can you just reel off quickly, Norm, just how many languages you're fluent in? And I think there's some you can read as well as maybe not be able to speak as well, but you can read fluently in some languages. Can you? Normally I wouldn't do this, but I just think it's so fascinating. <laughs> sure. So I do think in English and in Japanese. So those are the two most fluent. Um, so in Japanese mainly because I used to live there. So I picked it up very fairly quickly. And uh, my own native tribal language, Iban. Uh, in Europe, I learned Dutch, French, Spanish, and German. So in terms of fluency, I can understand Dutch and French and Spanish a little bit, but German, I can read it because it's a derivative. So that's not that hard to figure out the pronunciations. And I can read Korean because you can learn the alphabet in like 15 minutes. So that was a fun exercise. Yeah. So yeah, uh, languages is quite a key part of how I view things really. <laughs> Excellent. And I'm happy you mentioned that because that's kind of what I was driving towards for the audience that's listening today. Your perspective, just from listening to five or 10 episodes of Pod Lovers Asia, is very worldly in a way. And you're certainly not caught inside the North American podcast bubble or the London bubble or even the Australian radio broadcast bubble, which is a huge bubble in and of itself. You seem to have a very global view that people are making shows in English, in their native languages, in other languages outside of English globally that are having an impact on people and audiences. So can we start just talking a little bit about why Pod Lovers Asia came to be, maybe, and then talk about what it is now and maybe what you want it to be. And then I was hoping to dig in on a couple of the more interesting conversations you've had on there recently because I'm new to the show, but I've listened to a lot of it quickly. So, Oh, thank you. In a nutshell, really, Pod Lovers Asia came out of frustration which is a very weird way to introduce or pitch a show. It's a good way to start um, a show, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the main reason why is that throughout the course of starting other shows, because Potlovers Asia isn't the very first show I've created. I've created a few others. But I've picked up skills in podcasting, as most do, as they create more episodes. And part of that is learning more about the industry itself. And it tends to be very Western 
as in Western-centric. You'd be looking at markets in US, UK, Australia as well, and in the EU, but there's not much in Asia. In terms of coverage, in terms of companies popping up, in terms of podcast networks. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts covering the industry and or interviews and thought leaders in the space. They're all so far away. So this was frustration in a way where what about all the players nearby? What about Southeast Asia, South Asia, East Asia? What about Japan, India, Malaysia, Singapore, etc.? And Potlovers Asia came to be, one, because from that feeling of frustration, I had the chance to collaborate with a team to launch the first ever Asian podcast virtual summit, namely called the Asia Podcast Summit, which is an amazing name because it's so original. Straight to the point, though. Yeah, everybody. everybody no one was no one was confused about what that was about, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great because we were doing it purely out of the need to fill that void that there is no proper defined ecosystem of podcasting in Asia, which is where the show started to come out of, uh, where. I had the chance to connect with all of the experts who were coming on to the summit to speak, as well as moderating all of these uh, amazing Q&As, talking with the attendants. And we got sponsorships from Voxness, from Google, from, from other companies as well, Audio-Technica as well. And then we even flew to Singapore to do like an offline meetup, which is fantastic. I wanted to make the show to connect all of these threads together. And that's where Podlovers Asia was born. I wanted to be not to name, name any names, but I wanted to be the new source or at least the source of trying to gain a perspective on Asia's podcasting market. And that's how Podlovers Asia came to be. And yeah, uh, it's it's been doing pretty well. Uh, season two finished quite a while ago, actually, and I had to take a break due to other things, but we are launching season three very, very soon. And we are expanding to more uh, other Asian bubbles or markets, as you can say, because it doesn't just consist of ASEAN, East Asia, etc. We can also talk about it from the perspectives of the Asian American podcast market or the European Asian podcasting market, which is important. I would love to cover all of it. And I guess my worldly view helps a lot in deciding who to talk to, like who to reach out to and have a conversation. Well, there's a lot in that. And I guess... (laughs) If you've happened to listen to the show at all, Norm, leading up to this, I tend to just follow what I'm most curious about that people talk about. So it may at times feel like it's off topic, but one thing that I loved about Pod Lovers Asia was that you were very skillfully digging into these people that you interview to find out why they created what they created. And... And you were gracious enough as a host on these particular interviews to not have some plan in mind that you want from the guest. You actually were allowing them to explain to you why they truly created a show. Whereas a lot of people that talk about podcasting, I find, they have a a thought in their mind and they drive people to that point when they're interviewing them. So to me, it's pointless to have the guest there if you're just forcing them to agree with what you already think or you know, have a different view of monetization or have no view or whatever it is, there seems to be a lot of forcing, (laughs) you know, forcing people into thinking a certain way about it. And for me, it was a massive perspective shift to hear people that are creating shows for entirely different reasons that don't occur to people from the Western world, whether it's a cultural thing or 
maintaining a sense of history for the region or whatever it happens to be. It's not, it allowed me to find out, and I, mean, I had the suspicion, which is why I wanted to talk to yourself and more people from the region, that it's not just about, for me, I, do, I was doing a little bit of stand-up comedy. One of my shows it was built, I guess, to help me meet people in that industry and get to talk to them. Well, that's not something I've heard at all on your show. And it wasn't, there's no, I haven't heard anybody talking about, I built this so I could build a business like an entrepreneurial show. There are myriad different reasons for people in Asia to create shows. Did you know that going in? Or did you, as I said before, were you just willing to let these people explain to you why they made shows? And were you caught off guard or were you surprised by some of the reasons? I did have that expectation. And I think that is partly due to my lack of awareness of what really encompasses the definition of an Asian podcasting market. Because that's a very generic term. We don't even know how many countries fit into that perspective. We don't yeah. even know what's happening in all of these amazing regions. Uh, so when I built the show, I tried my best to have very little expectations and only set a certain direction by probing with certain questions, by asking for more or asking for their perspective on maybe one point and then just step back because I want to I want to learn from them and hear their take on it. The shift in interviewing as I'm growing the show actually allowed me to learn so much more beyond just, oh, a show is just there to generate leads to my business, um, <laughs> yeah. which, which is what can, we can see in most of like 80% of uh, LinkedIn uh, because a lot of podcasts there tends to be uh, like that. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Thing. Oh, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um, but I wanted to get into the untold stories of podcasters who are doing it beyond money or beyond a career, or beyond reason. They have to explain so much to get to the point of why are they here to start their show? Because it is a huge and hard endeavor. And with more and more articles or more and more coverage on all these amazing podcasters from Nepal to India to Indonesia, making different kinds of shows, I started to realize that they all have different reasons for starting their show. Because if they had the same reason, then they would have all sounded the same. But if they all sounded the same, I wouldn't have cared about getting into a conversation with them. Sorry, particularly one thing that stood out to me, and this may be because you're well-traveled and multilingual, etc. But one thing that I've noticed that a lot of hosts, particularly North American hosts, because they're generally the host we hear more, when they do have guests on from other countries, spend half the time they're interviewing people correcting the guest on how they should feel about something and or just simple things ah. like like jumping on them to correct mispronunciations and maybe if they're, you know, maybe not quite as fluent as you are, for example, as a host when you're speaking to people, you're so gracious in just letting that stand as something that's part of that conversation because it is completely organic. You're not jumping on people to correct them. You're not, you know, going back and giving them a mark on their English. <laughs> Like it's, sometimes I feel that maybe that's why we don't hear as much from the Asian market. And you are right. It's myriad countries with different histories and some are thousands of years old and some aren't and they don't speak the same language and they're not like there's no monolithic religion in the area. There's multiple religions, etc. It's such a diverse area in you know the deepest sense. Is that just something you naturally have as a host is understanding that 
this is not going to be maybe as smooth an experience from, you know, an English professor's not going to give this 100 out of 100. <laughs> but it's something about getting to these people that you as the host have to do. I'm assuming you don't edit out every mistake that these people make. And I'm not saying they're making mistakes. That's just a generic term for it. But you're, it really feels like I'm just a fly on the wall to these great conversations. Are you, is that an intention behind your editing or are you doing very little editing to maintain that organic feel? Sure. Uh, I have a few rules for editing, uh, which, which is fantastic that you brought up that analogy of being a fly on the wall, because that is what I'm trying to convey uh, which, with each and every episode. When we have guests from different cultures, different levels of English proficiency, or different experiences and backgrounds, we have to forgive them when it comes to, one, the environment in which we communicate with each other, and two, their perspectives on whatever topic that we're talking about. And the third is their ability to articulate what they're trying to say, especially when it's something very dear to them, which is most of the time their podcast, because, you know, lots of blood, sweat and tears go into their show and they do it for myriad reasons. And my, my only goal is just to figure out what that reason is and ask questions to figure out or paint a picture of what that amazing answer would be uh, from their side. Uh, to answer your question, though, I do my best to edit as little as possible. One, to keep that natural speed and or natural space to understand that person's multicultural background. That is extremely important. Wow. That's, it's huge, especially for something like Podlovers Asia or even any show that accepts guests from different countries. Because when you start to do things like show notes, podcast transcripts, terms that are used in a different language, what if it's in a different alphabet? What if it was in Sanskrit? What if it was in Japanese? What if it was in Mandarin? Um, how do you capture that in a conversation, but the intermediary language or the inter intermediary channel is in English? So we have to forgive guests for being in a different pace or working at a different pace, rather. And I learned that the hard way. I, didn't, I wasn't born with that skill. I, I moved countries... And I realized that I didn't fit in into certain environments or certain circles. So I had to learn firsthand how to articulate better, how to fit in into that context. And that's when the most important skill for any interviewer when it comes to this kind of show is the ability to context switch. And when you can context switch seamlessly, that's when things can really grow. And uh, that's, I guess that's how Polyverse Asia came to be. You are brilliant at that particular thing. But... One thing you just said then, Norm, and I very rarely get hyperbolic, but it actually is blowing my mind a little bit. For you, it's not about using English to appeal to the widest audience. You're viewing English as a communication technology with these people. So it just happens to be the layer that sits on top of Skype or whatever you use. It's just how you're going to communicate. But beyond that, it's really just because that's a commonality you may have with the guest when it comes to you know their language that's the language we're going to communicate in for this interview but the other thing about not editing too much is and it's something i have a gripe with is sometimes i want to hear people figure things out extemporaneously and get to the point when they circle back with a clearer answer because they've spent five minutes just trying to get to where 
they wanted to get to. Just like I did before with my fly on the wall analogy, it took me several minutes of speaking that out, hearing the words come out of my mouth into the ether with another human being to know (laughs) this is where I'm trying to get to. And I think our instinct, whether it's you're Australian or from the UK or from North America, is to cut out the journey of how someone got to their point and just have the point. Give me the information. I want it. I don't care how you got there because the technology of English is meaningless to us because we're all fluent. Don't worry about how they got there or how they figured it out. Just give me the point. And you're making what I think is a much more intelligent and thoughtful approach to your show in that you're leaving some of that figuring out in the in the episode itself there is a, there is one thing i want to add to that to compensate for the differences in our ability to articulate because it's not like people are just unable to communicate it's just that in the realm or in the context of speaking english some people have different levels of proficiency to compensate for that difference we have to look at non-verbal cues or verbal cues that are not even heard. And it's things like stuttering and silence and repeating or trying to re-articulate what they're trying to say, like you just mentioned. I keep a lot of that in there. And it's not it's not to waste the listener's time because we we're we're trained to think that, oh okay, if you wanna if you want to make sure that the episode is concise and you want to cut out all of these repeat words and these filler words, a lot of these ums and ahs. But for something like Polyverse Asia, and actually in most shows, the ums and ahs also tell something. They also convey a certain, uh, some certain messages. Like if you have an um and an ah, it means that currently they're thinking at a faster speed than they are talking. So they are you know fumbling, fumbling up, they're messing up. So they're trying again. And... This is especially important when you ask the right questions because once you write, once you ask the right questions and they are really trying hard to give you the best answer they can possibly can, I keep all of the filler words in. And I even keep like the five-second silence <laughs> for them to contemplate. Yeah. I did notice, and a rule that I've put in place for myself, Norm, is to, when I'm approaching an interview with somebody, is to make sure I'm listening to that person's content if they have it out in the world at normal speed. Because there's nothing worse yeah. than having only ever listened to someone speak at one and a half or two X and then you get on a Skype call and it sounds like they're talking very <laughs> slowly. Because your brain is used to hearing their intonation and their tone. It's not so much a tonal difference, but it's the space between words being very small. And I did notice that you do leave some of the gaps in. But the thing that I thought was great was I live in a part of the world where there is... We basically, Australia to me, and this may not be correct historically or anything, but it feels like to me that we are part of Asia. Like a lot of the people I interact with on a daily basis have some history from Asia, family, or they've moved here, or they've traveled there a lot, or whatever. We've got a close connection to that part of the world. Yeah. If you're dealing with someone that's incredibly polite, and I'd say the same a little bit about people that I've spoken to from Canada, they will take longer than an Australian person would or someone from North America to start their point because they want to give you a thoughtful answer. That's just my experience. And particularly Canadians, it really caught me off guard. I'm an old, I used to do an old music marketing show about being in an independent band. 
people from Canada would take four or five seconds of thought before they'd say anything. They're not like the podcasting entrepreneurial said, oh, that's a great question. And that's their thinking time. They were just dead silent. And I had to learn to sit in that silence. But you're leaving in things that are culturally relevant to that person. I think you had a guest on from India recently. And they had what I could only describe, Norm, as a thinking noise. Mm. And I'm not sure if it was a cultural thing or something specific to that individual. But you left some of that, might sound funny to the listener today. It's kind of like a... "Mm," sort of thing where they were thinking. I don't know if that came through the mic, but that to me was something I recognized throughout the episode of, ah, instead of saying um or ah or that's a great question, that person has a thinking process that may be cultural, maybe individual. But how did you develop those skills? You said that you didn't have them from birth and it's come over time. But how did you know that breaking the conventions of podcasting by having filler words and leaving more in and not editing so much because if you listen to anyone from public radio or from podcasting advice circles their advice usually starts with edit 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 cut out as much as you can without losing the tone and the concept of the piece but you're going the other way is your background part of why you're doing that i have to say that there is some influence but i can't really articulate it right now but um in terms of leaving a lot of the communication nuances when we are talking. That's a good way to put it. When you want to create an episode, you have this decision to make where do you want to edit for clarity or do you want to edit for humanity or humanization? And my rule above all for any episode, even if I just stick an intro, the the Zoom episode, uh, the Zoom audio, and then the outro, as long as I don't break that one rule, and the rule is always humanize the guest. If that rule is never broken, everything's accepted. And the definition of humanizing a guest can just depend on the person. So that, it can, that can include having their own unique signature noises, right? The, the ways that they would think. And it can also be the amount of silence that they take in the five to six seconds before answering a question. I leave those in or... At the very least, I cut only a little bit off uh, to cater for those who you know, just want to get to the point, but at least two to three seconds, it should be okay. But really, it just comes down to, if I take this out, if I take this noise out, if I take this section out, if I take out this, this repeat or this stutter, will it affect my listening experience? One, in terms of connecting with the guest, and two, listening to what's being said. Those are two distinctions. They are huge. Yeah, Uh, Like one is the context and then two is the information because through the context, we learn the information. Having that distinction is very, very important and you need a blend of both or you need to understand the blend of both to edit a show where where you're not listening to someone just reading out a blog post. You're reading or you're listening to a guest. (laughs) Yeah. You're listening to a guest speak what they have felt, speak what they have experienced Um, and that goes beyond cultures. It really just goes to uh, understanding what kind of experience you want for your listener. And in this case, and I forgot to mention this actually, since I know that the show Podlovers Asia is very broad in terms of the guests that they're accepting, because it's not just limited to one country, for example, or one accent, it, it means that when you bring them on, 
you really do have to humanize them, humanize them in their context, so that the listener, no matter where they're from, whether they're American or Australian or wherever, can be transported into their context. Like I, as a listener or as a host, I want you, the listener, to be taken to India to listen to my Indian guest talk about the Indian podcasting scene. Or I want you to go to the Philippines to hear about the nuances, the speeds, the stuttering. Are they using a lot of swear words? Are they talking really fast in certain questions? Those add to your overall impression of a country. And that is one of the biggest pieces in laying the foundation for an Asian podcast ecosystem because it consists of two things. One is technical data, which is you know the markets and the salaries and the numbers and the listenerships and all that. But the second is community. And community is defined by the region in which you are listening to a show in. And you, on the pursuit of trying to connect all of these together, I need to give you an idea of what is happening in this country that also involves humanizing the guest and not trying to, what's the word for it? Englishify them or like trying to make them very... Maybe westernize or sanitize their culture. Yeah. 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 So that's all brilliant. And... I did mention to Norm that I was hoping that in the future I'd be able to have him on more. So I did have some other stuff I wanted to get to today. And I think that we've given people a fair fair bit to think about intellectually there. I was hoping we could maybe spend a bit of time now, Norm, maybe talking about some lighter stuff, maybe some just general gear talk. Because you did mention sure. that this isn't when you're doing Pod Lovers Asia. It's not you in your studio there on a broadcast microphone talking to me in my new studio on an RE20 with lighting and a fully sound-treated room now, you're dealing with people that may have all myriad types of technology, and it's not just podcaster talking to podcaster in the sense that you can guarantee they're going to have studio sound, because you did mention, I think you used the word, their environment may not be may not be super podcast sounding when you get the chance to talk to them. It could be anything. These people might work way more hours than a normal person does, so they're talking to you from the break room. Who knows how it's happening? So can we just talk quickly about your technology choices? But also one thing I hear on a lot of shows that focus on podcasting is if the person doesn't have a good connection or a good sound, the host stresses out and doesn't interview them well. You don't do that. You seem to be completely forgiving of people that may be coming on with different quality connections. You don't know how that person's recording. Maybe they do all their shows in a studio, but when they're outside the studio, they don't have access to it. Who knows how it's actually happening, but can you just talk us through that, your tech, and then maybe some of the guest tech that you deal with? Because you don't seem to be bothered at all when the person sounds amazing or they sound like they're on a phone. That's just from what I've picked up. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm going to be honest. I didn't really care about that. I came in with no expectations because I knew that even if my guests were involved in podcasting in some way, they may not have a microphone and an amp, an amp or you know the right recording software or even a great room that's treated or anything. That they might have like a dog barking in the background, and I've had that happen, uh, yeah. which is pretty <laughs> interesting. And I've even had like tuk-tuks driving by in the background, which is pretty interesting. Um, but that's a whole other story. I, I didn't even know that hosts would stress out and that will affect their interviewing. Well, if just sound l- quality is... You, you seem to be very well-versed in the podcast ecosystem. Yeah. How often do you 
hear shows that talk about podcasting have people on that don't sound like they're a podcaster. It's very rare. And part of that to me is they don't want to have to deal with people whose sound isn't almost perfect already. Whereas this show for me, obviously I'm talking directly to people that make it and talk about the industry. But on my comedy show, Punching Sideways, I've got people on the phone sometimes. With COVID, we've had to connect through different remote technologies. And sometimes, well, none of them sound like they're with me and my co-host Mel in the studio. They sound like they're remote. But it just doesn't really bother me because not everyone that's creative has some whopping great sound studio that they can use. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. Like, not everyone has the same stack, so I really do forgive them and... My my setup is pretty simple. It's just an Audio-Technica 2100 USB connected to a laptop that's recording in Audition. And I use Zoom uh, to record uh, both both sides, a local recording with multiple channels. So I can edit out coughs and maybe background noise and something like that. But in terms of my expectations in audio quality, I actually have no expectations. I do give them guidelines and tips like, oh, just make sure that you know, your door is closed, that you try to keep it quiet in the background or something like that. But then when once we're talking, I forgive them. And the simple reason is that people are already using video conferencing software for so long already. So it is perfectly fine for us to be able to listen to something, even if it's untreated. Like if I go to someone or record an episode of somebody in, say, Nepal, and their internet is not as great uh, or it's not as consistent, maybe I'll just let them know we can do a local recording or we would repeat certain things to try to make up for it. But if we can't help but deal with that, that's perfectly fine. I, those are not the grounds for canceling a guest's appearance on my show because I do recognize the different levels of technological development and or just accessibility to fast internet and tech and equipment, etc., all across uh, all of these countries. I'm going to be honest, though, I did think that people, everyone should have high quality audio in the beginning. But then I started listening to other shows that are popping up around Asia, and they're not as high quality, but people still listen to them. People still engage with them. People still comment on them. And it came to realize that Asian podcast listeners are more forgiving of audio quality. As an Asian podcast listener myself, I should be more forgiving of that. So I just decide to have no expectations and then just go in uh, with Zoom audio. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to speculate for a second, Norm. Why do you think that is? And I'll put it in the context of people from the UK, for example, as big as radio is there, the BBC is over 50% market share in anything that's audio. And they've been making beautiful audio for nearly 100 years. People in the United States, if they choose to, if it appeals to them, they can listen to things like NPR, which has been making beautiful sounding audio for a very long time. And if they do have someone on with a bad connection, you're hearing them for two minutes, not two hours. Is it because in terms of the local markets that they don't have an inherent expectation because there isn't a huge broadcaster that's been pumping out this exquisite sounding audio. I'm not saying it's better. You can't always be bigger, but you can still be better, even if you don't sound as good. That's something I'm trying to really hit hit home for people, that you don't have to sound better to be better or be competitive or 
just to be worth listening to. But do these emerging podcast markets throughout Asia, and I don't, I probably shouldn't use the word emerging, but someone like Nepal, for example, part of doing podcasting, honestly, particularly at this point in the world in 2020, is having some level of reliable internet. It's a very hard endeavor if you don't have it. <laughs> so yeah. is it because they didn't have an existing peak audio body in the country that everyone accesses? Like in Australia, you spend time in Sydney, we have the ABC. Whether you like the ABC's content or not is different from whether it sounds good. It always sounds good. So take whatever you like there. Tell me I'm wrong. Like that's why I love having people on to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> No, no, I... I know I do appreciate that. Uh, I do appreciate you bringing in your perspective from from countries outside of Asia because it does bring up one distinction, and in that it's not that we don't have expectations; it's that we don't have examples of high quality podcasts appearing in these countries. Now you have you have bodies like the BBC or uh, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation; they set the standard for audio quality content and or the general direction of the broadcasting industry, which is fantastic. That's great. Um, but that means that that also includes podcasting. At the moment, a lot of the Asian countries would not really include podcasting and or current broadcasting companies, at least from what I've noticed, at least in Malaysia and other countries in Southeast Asia, they would only have podcasts as a way to play catch-up radio. So they would just, you know, copy-paste all the, broadcast the content and put it in there. That already sets the standard for the impression of the word podcast. And people then associate podcasts with just, oh, it's just downloadable radio, which is one way to look at it. But then that means that we don't really need to or have a desire to look beyond that and set a higher expectation or a higher value or example, uh, rather. That's Sorry, I'm just, that is really fascinating. So... For me, when I think podcasting, I think about the four or five best shows, in my opinion, across multiple genres, Yeah, and none of them is catch-up radio. Exactly. I mean, I love a show called Kate, Tim, and Marty. Marty's my favorite on-radio person probably in the world. He's actually leaving, so I'll never listen to the show again, but <laughs> he, yeah, that's a complete detour. I don't think catch-up radio enters my mind as being a podcast form when it clearly is. It's what the technology enables radio companies to do. But to me, it's not a native podcast form. I'm thinking about a show called Cord Killers in TV, Bill Burr in comedy. Mm. When I'm listening to highly narrative stuff, I love a show called Law because of where it started and where it's gotten to. I think it's just as great as serials and Dirty Johns and all that when it comes to the production style and some of the British shows that are very funny and satirical, like there's a Dairy Farmers Union show, which I think I've just discovered recently, which is basically a fake community newsletter about the dairy industry in a little town. And it is okay. it is really funny and doesn't have too much cringy English comedy because English comedy has very much gone down the cringe direction. Trying to make people cringe seems to be their whole goal at the moment, but this show is so funny. And... There's another dozen shows I can mention. None of them is catch-up. But from what you're telling me, Norm, there are countries where, well, if it's talkback, half the people, half the people's voices you hear on talkback are calling in on a phone line or a mobile phone. Exactly. So 
as long as the host sounds good. Would you agree, though, that as the host, you need to sound at least as good as your guests, in my opinion? If you're going to have, if people are going to listen to you for a long period of time, particularly episode after episode, you probably want to sound better as opposed to not so good. Yeah, uh, I. Th- at least that is one thing that I can wholeheartedly accept that your host should have decent audio. This is the person that's guiding you throughout each and every episode. They yeah. should at least sound either professional or at least as if they are in a leading position. Yeah, and correct. part of that is, you know, minus the ability to talk and the ability to converse, that's that's a whole other thing altogether. But just even their quality, because quality quality encourages a calm listening experience. Because it's sure it's an expectation in many countries all around the world, but even just decent level audio, it's enough for you to listen to a conversation altogether. And people do forgive you uh, for that here. If the host is low quality, I would actually shut it off. I've done that before. I've dropped yeah. shows because the host themselves, they're saying something inaudible and I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? And <laughs> exactly. I just dropped the episode. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's also when you are a listener and you're listening to the guest answer a question it doesn't i'm not every show is an interview show but that's the context we're using for this example if the guest you don't place an expectation on them that they're not trying if they don't sound good they may have just been in a situation where they don't have their normal equipment or they don't have their own podcasting gear or they're just doing a media tour they're on the mobile phone they're on a landline whatever or they're just talking into their macbook look i'm not today but i could be Hopefully, Norm told me, hey, it doesn't sound like you're coming through the roadcaster, Josh. It sounds like you're coming through the camera. <laughs> that's that's something that people need to pull people up on quicker is, uh, can you tap on your mic, please? I don't think it's turned on. But another, diver- another divergence. I think that when you listen to the host and their audio is, I guess, because the normal behavior is to listen to one podcast and listen to 10. People don't generally just stop at one. It's kind of an obsessive behavior in a way. It replaces other content in your life if the host doesn't have good audio or improving audio maybe would be a better way to put it Mm. that the first thing i think isn't forgiveness it's wow they don't care about my time like particularly if it gets worse like one guy that i actually really like is bill simmons he does a sports show and sometimes bill will call his guests who are in the studio off his mobile to talk to them so the host is on a really crappy sounding connection (laughs) like you could bring on at least a landline people a lot of people don't even have landlines but at least the the quality is low but it's constant whereas on a mobile it can go in and out and it can drop out it can get interfered with there's a million different problems with mobile connections but to me it was like wait a sec bill's talking to someone in a studio who's his employee but he sounds way worse and this is not listenable. And that's a show I listen to every episode of, Norm. And I just went, see you later. Not listening to that. Yeah, yeah That there's a baseline, um, especially for when a listener commits to listening to a show or subscribing to a show. And I always like to look at it from a routine perspective. It's a verbal agreement or at least a, you know, a one button away. But you, when you subscribe to a show, you agree to allow this show to be part of your routine. I don't know what the routine can be. It could be when you're commuting by car to your office. I mean, if you can in this in this pandemic, but um, 
when you have time to listen to a show, this is one of the options, and then you can choose to listen to it, and there you go. By not really taking the time to set the baseline proper, even if it's just decent audio quality and you're stuck with the same microphone for the next five years, if it's a decent microphone, it should be okay. It's serviceable. It's perfectly fine. That's okay. I, I probably won't be able to forgive the host for <laughs> calling on a phone to a guest and having worse audio than the guest because I can always forgive a guest for having bad audio. So many factors. That's okay. But as the host, this is your show. Like you have your setup. You have your, your business or your model or whatever, and you need to commit more and that means trying to stay consi consistent, not only on publishing an episode every week or whatever, but also just sounding familiar or sounding relatable or just humanizing yourself. But yeah, I have a personal gripe with that. <laughs> so I thought that might be a good place to stop today's episode. Hopefully I didn't oversell just how warm and insightful Norm is. He's someone that I'm hoping to talk to a lot in the future. So, Norm, if you're listening to this, get ready for that because I'm going to be asking you to come on this show a fair bit. You know when you just feel simpatico with someone and you find them interesting and as a host, you'd rather just not talk at all. You just let them talk. That's how I felt with Norm. So, you'll hear more of Norm in the next episode and we go deep into maybe a few more country-specific elements of podcasting in Asia including how maybe some local radio markets and companies that are emerging in different countries affect the podcasting domestically and also internationally. And once again, thank you for being part of Deadset Podcasting. Thank you for supporting the show at deadsetpodcasting.com slash support. Thank you for not rebelling as an audience against me chopping interviews up into multiple parts, which I think I've done most of the time with Deadset Podcasting. There are some big voices in the quote-unquote expert space in podcasting that think it's a horrible idea and you should never do it and it's a pain in the butt and it's not fair on the listener. I think that's mostly garbage, to be honest. I think people just like the fact that you're putting it out regularly, regardless how that happens, and that's what I'm trying to achieve with this show. I think I've said in the past, my biggest failure as a podcast producer has been lack of consistency. So thank you guys for listening to each episode. There's a little bunch of core listeners that I really, really appreciate their time. So I don't want to drag these things out forever. I'd prefer just to have them coming out more regularly. So yeah, that's been great. At Joshua C. Liston on Twitter and Instagram to talk to me and Facebook, Joshua C. Liston. And I hope you have a great week and I'll be back with more of Norm in the next episode. Cheers. Bye-bye. This episode was edited by Dead Said Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.